Hi, my name is Jenny Kwong for ArtsLink on CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary on Treaty 7 lands and Métis Region 3. Today, I have an interview with Valerie Castillo Martinez, writer of the film Death of Nintendo, which had its Canadian premiere at the Calgary International Film Festival at the end of September and start of October. Today, I have a guest on the show. Can you please uh, introduce yourself and what the film that you are uh, you have worked on? Oh, hi. Um, my name is Valerie Castillo-Martinez, and I'm the writer and producer of a film called Death of Nintendo, playing at Calgary Film Festival. All right. And tell me about the film. Um, the film is set in Manila in the 90s, and it's about four friends that go through different um, dilemmas um, and come of age in this one wonderful summer. All right. I guess uh, tell me about uh, Paulo, who plays one of the friends. Tell me about him and the friends that he has. Um, sure. So Paulo is this kind of obedient um, boy who is avoidant of conflict and, you know, follows and respects his mom, but is also very curious to um, hear stories from his nanny and, um, you know, and has started developing, you know, a crush on the neighborhood girl, Chiara. And then he has these two friends, um, Kachi um, and Gilligan. And Gilligan has a sister named Mima, who is kind of a tomboy who follows them around. Um, so whenever they get into trouble, she's sort of the uh, the wiser um, person um, observing them and also developing feelings. For, for Paolo in the process. Okay, and I um, guess yeah. Tell me the young actors that you had uh, do you were able to work with for this film. Paolo is performed by Noel Comia Jr. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So Noel. So we cast did a casting session fairly quickly about in about a month, and then we had different options from either. Um, theater actors or someone who had some per, uh, commercials or, or actual movies or TV shows and non-actors and we ended up getting a very mixed um, mixed bag of actors and Noel um, was the one that we ended up casting as Paolo and he comes from a theater background, um, has done some music and um, a few commercials and TV shows. Okay. And so, um, what was it like to work with the, a young cast for this film? Um, it was a lot of fun. I would say that they are, um, they kept the energy and the kind of fun and lighthearted spirit uh, in the on set, not just when the cameras are rolling. And it was really fun for Raya to direct them because they were very honest and open and they had a lot of energy. So, so it was really, uh, it brought us back 
to the time that we were young too. Okay. And can you tell me more about the relationship between Paolo and his mother, Patricia? Yes. So um, the relationship between Paolo and his mother is, you know, a little bit on the protective side um, because the Patricia, Paolo's mom, has been, you know, um, also got her heart broken. I would say that in her, you know, her instinct is to protect um, Paolo and make sure that he doesn't get hurt in any way. And, you know, that doesn't just involve a romantic relationship, but also just physically from the world, from going out or, you know, from any kind of dangers that society presents. So she does her best in making sure that, you know, he's being, um, well, he's being fed, he's being clothed, he's, he's comfortable, and he has any kind of um, material things that he needs as far as, like, video games or shoes. And he and she thinks that providing to him materially would compensate for a lot of the things that he's seeking out. Um, but we, we find out in the film that he, he does want to explore, you know, more of, of what life has to offer for him. And tell me about working with the actress who portrayed Patricia Agot Isidro. Yeah, um, she, Agot is a, um, funny enough, she is one of the actors I grew up watching, you know, while growing up in the Philippines. And she was a, she had two very famous songs, or maybe more, that came out in the 90s that we so she's very much um, nostalgic, a nostalgic character herself, not character, but like a icon, I guess, as far as like being an actress in several films that played in the nineties um, as a as a teen, as a young, as a teen, um, and then now you know years later, now she's portraying the mom, so it's actually still nostalgic. Um, and she's very generous with her time and very gracious on set. She always, you know, because she's the, probably the most experienced actor we had on set, she was very generous with her time and teaching the kids, you know, and, and hanging out with the kids and bringing us all sorts of ditties on set, too. So it, it was a lovely experience working with her. Okay. And, um, well, this interview will uh, be broadcasted um, in the start of October, which is close to Halloween. And in the uh, oh. movie, like uh, kids like to talk, uh, tell stories about the supernatural. Can you, like, talk, tell me about a, a favorite story you have uh, of a supernatural being that you enjoyed growing up? Yeah, um, so when very much like in the movie... We watched, um, there's a very famous series or, or film, kind of an anthology series called Shake, Rattle, and Roll, which is like a series of smaller horror tales, you know, that kids would watch, they would do it, and they would go out and watch and get scared together. It's kind of a bonding experience. Um, the one story that really stuck to me was this, couple who went into a town and were chased by a town who turns out to be like a town of Aswang. Aswang is kind of a, I guess the closest would be like a vampire slash wolf 
kind of creature that kind of preys on on people. And I just love that story because it was harder for for the protagonist to escape that situation because it was the whole town going against them and the way it was directed by the person who passed away last year, I think, um, was just really memorable and, and kind of in keeping with this really 90 genre of, of films that um, really made horror enjoyable and suspenseful. Tell me where the film Death of Nintendo was filmed and uh, what were the challenges of filming in those locations? Um, sure. Um, we filmed mostly in a town called Rizal, which is, I'd say, about an hour from Manila. Um, I think Manila, it, it, it played like we were filming in Manila, but we actually had to move um, to a space where it was a little less congested and a, a place a little bit more isolated, so it, um, it can still feel very, um, what do you call it? less urban um because in the 90s you know it's i think places were still a little bit more spaced out versus like now in manila everything's kind of packed together um so so the filming challenges we had were you know dealing with traffic is probably one of the daily gripes that we had because sometimes it would take hours for us to get from manila to to Rizal. Um, but once we got to the location, it was um, it was worth it because it was, you know, we had a lot of space to to play in in the houses that we chose for the location, um, and you know, all the other the other location that was probably the most challenging was the cemetery because we only had two days to film in there, and we we had a lot of story, you know, that occurs in the cemetery from the kind of the dream that Paolo has with this girl, with Chiara, all the way to kind of the end of the, one of the climactic scenes where, you know, the kids fight uh, with a bully and then um, Nemo, you know, ends up kissing Paolo. So a lot of things happen in the cemetery, but we actually had very limited amount of time to, to shoot there. All right. And... What was it about childhood and teenage years in the Philippines you wanted to capture in the film? Um, what is it about? What was the first thing? Oh, what was it about childhood and teenage years oh, you wanted to capture in Philippines that you wanted to... Uh, sorry, I'll say that again. What was about childhood and teenage years in the Philippines you wanted to capture in the film? Yeah, I mean, for childhood, it was, um, in terms of, like, the 90s, it feels like it was a simpler time, and people were just more connected in terms of not having too much technology in the way to, you know, keep them apart. Um, I just remember um, even the lack of electricity would cause us to go out and play and, you know, get in the dirt, climb trees, and and then truly be creative and, you know, and communicate with each other in person. Um, so that's what I really loved about um, growing up in the 90s um, in my childhood. Okay. Um, 
and for sorry, what was the other thing? Um, childhood and childhood and uh, teenage years. That's oh yeah. yeah, um, yeah, and um, so for the teenage years, um, it's not specific to the Philippines in the nineties. I think it speaks to anybody who's growing up and having growing pains. Of um, thinking that there are quick solutions to growing up. Uh, as far as you know, for the boys, they thought if they can only get this circumcision situation, you know, that they that would solve their problems and that would make them turn them into real men. So that's kind of the false idea that they learned at the end that it's not quite, you know, it takes time to grow. Um, and then for for the Nemo for the girl, it's really like finding her sense of belonging. Um, if she does feel comfortable with the boys, but she develops her own feelings, she has to really figure it out and and see who she really is, and um, if it means for her to take risks or go to a new place or try other things. Um, yeah, I think. Teenagers go through a lot of these changes that they just have to, they just have to embody a lot of and go through a lot of these things in order to learn. All right, um, Death of Nintendo um, will have its uh, Canadian premiere at the Calgary International Film Festival, and so um, where can the film be seen afterwards? Yeah, um, so I believe if you're in Canada. Uh, the New York Asian American Film Festival is also playing the week after Calgary, I believe. So um, I, I think, yeah, I think that's U.S. and Canada. So you can catch it there as well. And then um, I know it's playing in a, a few festivals in the U.S., like uh, Nashville, L.A. Asian, Urban World. Um, so I know it's in the U.S. after that, and then we don't have a distribution yet, so I can't really, I don't really know when it's going to be out, you know, for for the public to access, but this is even more reason, I hope you can catch it in Calgary or, or New York Asian for now, and hopefully it will be out soon. All right. Thank you very much for your time. No, thank you so much for this interview. That was my interview with Valerie Castillo Martinez, the writer of the film Death of Nintendo, which showed at the Calgary International Film Festival this past week. ArtsLink is celebrating the start of our fifth year on CJSW Radio. I thought I would play a favorite artist from childhood. It is Alan Tam, Hong Kong singer who became famous in the 80s and 90s. The track I picked out is. Called Ming Tin Jing Yao Gai Zhou. It translates as Have to Continue On Tomorrow. Would you see? 
，就算我错了，亦必须继续痛苦时，有眼泪去中和。没有去爱过，怎知他美？没有你爱我，问怎可脱做那管他？世界未原谅我。是尽变空，你看我是没有泪容，愁怀悬在半空。明天中多苦痛，命运继续来，一点不放松。明天冷风吹送，面上有热情仍流就算我错了，亦必须继续痛苦时，有眼泪去中和。没有去爱过，怎知他美？没有你爱我，问怎可脱做那管他？世界未原谅我。Song is called Ming Tin Jing Yao Gai Jiu, and is performed by Hong Kong artist Alan Tan. Next on Arts Link is Claire Price, the artistic director at Downstage Theatre, here to talk about Dear Women. Dear Women is an online theatre performance about Lila, an indigenous woman seeking justice for herself. So today I'm talking with Claire Price. Well.、Uh, Artistic Director of Downstage Theatre. Welcome. Thank you for having me.、Um, I guess、uh, tell us、uh, what is the show about, Dear Women. Yeah, so Dear Women is a creation、uh, by Article Eleven, and Article Eleven is founded and run by Tara Bagan and Andy Morrow. It's an Indigenous、um, arts and activist、uh, company, and this play, Dear Women, is focused on a character named Lila. 
And Lila is the older sister of a young woman who was murdered, um, and she's one of the murdered and missing Indigenous women. So it's a story about Lila taking vengeance for that. Uh, Lila is uh, has been trained by the Canadian Army. Uh, she was in the Army, and then also trained by her dad to be a deer hunter. So she uses both that training to seek vengeance for her little sister's death. And uh, the the play is being... So we were originally going to work with Article 11 to present the Turtle Island premiere um, in Motel Theatre at Arts Commons. And then when everything happened around COVID, we decided to make it a theatre-on-film experience. So it's still a play. It's still, uh, you know, Cherish Violet Blood plays Lila. She's a Blackfoot woman um, and comes from just south of of here. And uh, she plays Lila and she talks directly to a camera. So Lila in the play sets up a video camera um, and records a message to the world that she's going to post in, on online. And so it makes sense in the way to to do this theater on film kind of version of it because Lila is actually talking to a camera in the play itself. Uh, so the play premiered um, in 2018. It's It's been seen internationally, but this will be the first time it's seen on Turtle Island. And some of us call this particular area of Turtle Island, Canada. So it's the first time that it'll be seen here. Talk yeah. about uh, uh, working with Tara and Andy on the play. Yeah, so the whole creative team is uh, is all Indigenous. So uh, Danielle White and I, who are the two people that run Downstage, we're there very much in a supporting producer kind of mode. Um, but those that are creating it, uh, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera, are all Indigenous and have... Um, I would say, like, there's a sense of matriarchy as well. Actually, the new artistic director of Making Treaty 7, Michelle, Michelle Thrush, uh, her official credit on the show is Benevolent Goddess of Our Well-Being. She cooked us amazing dinner and helped set up um, some connections for the, the filming in the bush, which we did um, on site. So it's, it's really interesting to take a play that's, you know, set in a, in a sort of black box theater with some projections around it and to take it and bring it out to the forest and to, and to film it there, which is where it's, you know, set as far as the story goes. That was really incredible. Uh, Tara and Andy have been incredibly generous and so thoughtful all the way along. I think the play, I've known a lot of Tara's work over the years. Actually, the first show I ever assistant directed was for Native Earth Performing Arts. It was her play, Jury and Izzy. So I've known Tara for a long time. We actually went to the same elementary school in Lethbridge. <laughs> uh, but, um, this particular piece, I just find it's such a powerful piece of writing. It's brilliant. It brings you to all sorts of different emotional realities. But really, the the feeling of it that I that I get from Tara and from the crew that, that, that they want to bring forward is this sense of empowerment, but also really sharing with people what lengths people will go to when they feel that justice is not being served and how that impacts not only you know, the people uh, that are that are needing to take that justice into their own hands, but also those around them. So it's quite a powerful story. It's, you know, it's talking very directly about missing and murdered Indigenous women. Um, there are, you know, there's there's elements of historical violence and sexual violence with, uh, within the play. So, you know, 16 plus is what we're looking at as far as who, who should be taking the play in. But it's also, there are moments of, of funny and sad and heart-wrenching and heartwarming. Um, Cherish is a brilliant actor as well, so she really embodies the character. And uh, and we're, we're streaming it for free, so we want people to just see it, to take it in. We're not charging anything for, for it, and we're, it's going to run from October 4th to 18th online, and you can get tickets. Uh, you can book your free tickets at downstage.ca. Tell me more about Cherish Violet Blood as an actor. 
know. I mean, I know her mostly as a playwright and, and a bit of director. I don't know her as Tara as much as an actor, but uh, she's. I know she's done a whole broad range of stuff. Um, and and I know I we actually started working together in Toronto, and then so it's kind of cool that we both ended up coming back west, close to our our homeland area. Um, yeah, so she's she's quite a diverse actor for sure. But I I mostly know her her writing. Uh, she had the um, a, a premiere at Theatre Calgary couple years ago, I think, Honor Beat. So she's she's been writing a lot, and uh, and her and Andy collaborate a lot on, on Article 11 stuff, too. Uh, what role can art have in activism? Oh, I think it can have a, a huge role, and that's so much of what we, we you know, um, dedicate ourselves to at Downstage, is this sense that in bringing stories to light, not only intellectually, but also emotionally, viscerally, uh, it, it allows people to really feel and experience in an empathetic way, uh, what characters are going through, and hopefully that empathy can can stoke a sense of desire to to help make positive change in the world and to make um, this planet a, a more uh, inviting place for a greater multiplicity of people to live to live on. You know that we can live together, um, that we can dismantle some systems of oppression that are really you know impacting some people much more than others and start to live uh, in a more equitable and, and harmonious and, and collaborative way. So I think that that's, for me, part of um, healing is rage and anger. I think, you know, especially if someone's coming from a place of depression or self-inflicted harm, um, sometimes you need to go through anger and rage and even revenge to get to that place of hope and joy and empowerment. And I think this this play shows that, you know, it's not an easy play, but I think it's a really worthwhile play to watch and, uh, and to experience and, and maybe watch it with other people and have a conversation after about, about the actions that Lila took and, and how we could make this society a place where she wouldn't need to do that in the future. Okay, uh, thank you very much for your time, uh, Claire. Thank you so much, Jenny. I always appreciate talking to you and thanks to the whole team at CGSW. All right, thanks. That was my interview with Claire Price of Downstage Theatre. The live stream for Dear Women starts October 4th and goes until October 18th at 2 p.m. and 7 p.m. daily. Visit downstage.ca to reserve free tickets. Stay tuned to CJSW 90.9 FM for the annual funding drive. It's a week where we raise money for the station and we need listeners to be part of it. The ArtsLink Funding Drive show will be on Monday 26 at 11 a.m. The funding drive is October 23rd to October 30th. For the November show, I am planning an interview with Antics Community Arts. If you have questions or suggestions for the show, email artslinkradio at gmail.com. That's it for Artslink this month. My name is Jenny Kwong, and I'll leave you a song called KG. That's the title in Cantonese, and it translates as chess piece, and is performed by Fei Wang.
陷入了另一个困境，我没有决定输赢的勇气，也没有逃脱的幸运，我像是一颗棋，进退。去全部要自己，接受误会，你从不曾犹豫，我却受控在你手里。我没。